to dig into the Proverbs, and we were going to begin this year by applying some of the godly wisdom in the book of Proverbs. And you know, it was the, the phrase was "godly wisdom to help us live as godly people." And in God's way, in God's will. And what we were going to do is we were going to pull out the wisdom of the Proverbs to apply now how we can handle our money better, how we can handle relationships better, you know, and how we can handle our time better and all these things. So I went into the room and this has happened about two or three times since being here. And I began to preach and I literally ran into the kitchen where Michaela was and I said, something's going on. I said, I don't think I'm going to preach that today. I don't think I'm ever going to preach it. I think we're going to change it up. She's like, all right, what are you preaching? I said, I don't know. Uh, I, I really don't, but I just felt in my heart of hearts that God was telling me, we're going to do something different today. So I went back in with my notepad open on my phone, and I began to pray and say, okay, God, if you are truly wanting me to preach something else, what is it? And here's what we're going to do over the next few weeks as we're planning to now. Um, You know, God didn't give me an audible voice or a text message alert, which would have been really nice. But what we're going to do instead of going by the ways of the wise and following the book of Proverbs and applying those particular life wisdom applications, we are going to go through the book of Mark. Maybe the entire book of Mark, stay in Mark, we may reference other gospel accounts, but we're going to look at Jesus In the sense of, what time of the year is it? It's January. What is everyone getting ready to do tomorrow? Maybe you're going to meal prep tonight. And you got your food ready for tomorrow. You know exactly what you're going to be eating. You know you're going to go to the gym tomorrow. And you're going to wake up an hour early tomorrow. You're going to pray more tomorrow. You're going to read tomorrow. Um, You're not going to, you know... Try to let too many bad words out at the coworker that drives you nuts tomorrow. And you're, and you're just trying all these resolutions that you've been writing down and, and you've been thinking them out and telling everybody else. And, and, and you're going to try. This is the year. This is the year. Isn't that what we always tell ourselves this year? It's good. This is going to be different. We're doing things different this year. And this is going to be the year we save the ten, twenty thousand dollars This is going to be the year we pay off the you know $25,000 debt that we've been saying we would for the last four years. But this is going to be the year. And I was thinking of all the resolutions that I have, all of the hopes and the goals. And here's what I'll tell you. Set some goals. I mean... Challenge yourself this year. Push yourself to be better than you are. I don't want you to be lazy and lethargic and just go through life miserable. I want you to, if you want to lose the weight, if you want to save the money, if you want to open the business, I hope you do it all. I hope you really push yourself and and set some goals and, and reach those goals. But then I began to wonder, you know, one thing that I've never actually written down, because anybody else write your resolutions down? You pin them on the fridge until like January 12th and then they just rip off. You know, like, uh, just forget it, next year. Who all writes yours down? Anybody? No? Just me. Michelle, thank you. Thank you. Who here thinks them out? And you tell yourself, these are my goals this year. Let me ask you this. When did you ever write down or think, my resolution this year is to be more like Jesus? To be more like Jesus. You know, I realized every time I wrote my goals down, I never wrote down the number one goal that I have for each of us, that we would become more like Jesus. Now, whenever I said that, I began to think there's a lot of people that whenever they say that you should be more like Jesus or we should be more like Jesus, they really 
uh, offend Jesus in the sense of they limit Jesus to be just this all-loving kind of guy. You know, I just love everybody, and we're just okay with everybody. But here's the thing. that Here's what I want us to do. We're going to look at the full character and nature of who Jesus is. Yes, Jesus was full of love, but Jesus was also full of authority. He was full of power. Jesus was full of holiness and righteousness. He wasn't just some, you know, guy wearing some loose sweatpants and, a hair, and his hair pulled back. You know, just love everybody. No, no, no. This was the man that would flip over tables if you were offending him. This is the kind of Jesus that would tell people, you brood of vipers, you're leading people straight to hell because of your whitewashed tomb type theology. This is the Jesus that he wasn't just this everybody loved everybody kind of guy. He was a guy that was full of holiness and righteousness and judgment and love and mercy and grace all at the same time. And he embodied all of who we were at the exact same time. He embodied all of who God was and he lived a life perfect. That's who Jesus was. He was more than just, oh, we got to love everybody and tolerate sin and just accept it for what happened. No, no, no. Jesus was a man... 100%, but Jesus is also God 100%. So here's what I want us to do. We are going to look at really who Jesus was, because here's why I think, why I'm really excited to, to kind of go in this direction. If we were to be honest, we were to be honest, let's just be honest for a moment. Would you think that the way the church as a whole is going, or the way that our country as a whole is going, is upsetting our God. Probably. I mean, let's just be honest. We, we are living in a time where we are calling evil things good, right? And we are calling good things, godly things, evil. And if there's ever been a time where people need to know Jesus, it's right now. I mean, you can see that we are growing. And you know, and I always say this to people, they say, well, the end of times are near. Yeah, we are nearer to the end of times now than we were one minute ago, one hour ago, one day ago. We have no idea how much more time we have on this earth. So are we maximizing our time pointing people to Jesus? Because here's what we're going to do. In Mark chapter 2, starting today, we're going to do things differently. Now, I may go ahead and write the sermons that I had began for the next few weeks, and I might record them in little devotional type and upload them because we were going to play it safe, go through the Proverbs. You know, it's not very controversial, and, you know, we're not going to ruffle many feathers. Just, you know, just manage your time better and, 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 you know, reduce your stress better and organize your life better and have structure and all these things. Uh, but here's the deal. We're going to go to Jesus, and I, and I will apologize. He may ruffle your feathers a little bit. Is that Okay. You might get a little upset with Jesus. And, and I'm not going to you know, condemn you in any way. Or I'm not going to present my opinion in here in place of who Jesus was or how he taught or what he expected. But we are going to try and be like Jesus. Because here's my New Year's resolution for myself and for each and every person here. That you would become more and more like Jesus. That you would become more and more like Jesus. But not the Jesus that you think about whenever he fits your perfect model of, oh, I just love people. Not the Jesus that the world wants you to be where you just tolerate and accept sin and just, well, it's just, it's just struggle. No, no, no. We're going to take a look at who Jesus really was so you and I can grow this year to become more and more like him, the real Jesus. So Mark chapter 2 and verse 13, he went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. 
And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. This is also Matthew. If you read the Gospel of Matthew, this is the same man. But Levi was a very distinct name because that was his birth name. And that was the name that he would be under as a Levite. He would be doing the work of the Lord. But as you can see here, he's in a tax booth. So he has neglected the work of the Lord that he was born into, that that family lineage, that he would be a Levite, that he would become a priest, that he would do the work of the Lord, and his entire life would be devoted to God's work. But he's now in a tax booth. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, so we're talking about Jesus going to Matthew or Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Now I want to read a few verses from various books here that I have written down. This is talking about who Jesus was. So whenever we think about who Jesus was, maybe the first thing that comes to mind is the cross. You know, he was the savior of the world. Um, when we think about Jesus, we may think, you know, he was God in flesh. He was the son of God. Or, you know, whenever we think about Jesus, we think John chapter 1, that he was the word. He was with God, and then the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and, and then here's Jesus. Let me just read a couple of passages about who Jesus was. Um, in First Peter, we see that he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. And we also see in 1 John chapter 3, verse 5, that you know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. So this is Jesus. Um, Matthew chapter 5, we see Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount. He goes on to say, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. He's, he's telling people that he, his Father is perfect. And if he claims to be the Father, that means he's also perfect. Um, and then in Hebrews chapter 4, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So to understand who Jesus is, Jesus is man, but Jesus is also God. And in order for Jesus to remain as Savior of the world and the Son of God, he must remain without blemish, meaning Sin. Jesus was perfect. Jesus did not sin. Now, in today's world, it's really hard for people to understand that because they think, well, nobody's really perfect. You know, everybody makes mistakes. Everybody just struggles or falls short. We have to understand that if we want a true, genuine belief in good theology of who Jesus is, he was perfect. He was without sin so that he could bear the sins of mankind upon his shoulders. So, so we know that Jesus was perfect. And here's what I want us to do today. I want us to kind of begin looking at the integrity or the righteousness or the character that Jesus possessed while he walked. So we just read a passage of scripture where Jesus ate amongst sinners. 
we read a passage where he called a sinner and he ate with them and he reclined with them. But we also read multiple passages where we see that Jesus was perfect. So here is very, very important in our understanding of who Jesus is, but also wanting to become like Jesus. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, for those who are in Christ are a what? A new creation, a new creature. Behold, the old things have passed away and new has come. So we have to first understand that you and I are only made new in whom? Jesus. Because he's the only one that can endure the full wrath of God, the, the punishment for our sin. And then at the same time, that punishment being death and separation from the Father, because he is full man and full God, that he can then also raise back to life to give us new life. So, so Jesus wasn't just someone that came to die. Jesus came to bring life and to bring life abundantly. And Jesus came so that he could take it all upon himself because he who knew no sin for our sake became sin. So that in him we could become the righteousness of God. But Paul wrote that in him we are new creatures. So we have to understand that only in Christ can we become, can we become new creatures. So if, okay, now here's where we're going to start to get personal. If you call yourself a Christian, are you made new? If you say, well, I've been born again and made new, does your life look completely different than it did before? If your mouth is the same as it was before, then you need to examine that. If your actions and behavior are the same that it was before, then we must examine that. We, and we, must, we may even need to go to the actual question of our conversion to see if it was really sincere and authentic that we surrendered ourselves to the Lord. Or do we just think about it for an emotional time period? And then like every other thing that we do based off emotion, eventually that emotion will fade out. And then that's when people will turn away or leave the church altogether. So we have to understand, was our conversion authentic? Are we truly made new? Are, are you able to see be, the old things have passed away? Passed away. The old sinful habits, they've all passed away. Now, I'm not going to tell you that because you come to faith in Christ, you are going to be perfect. But it is going to be evident that you are made new, that you are born again, that you are different now. Because we also read Jesus said himself that he did not come to bring peace, but actually he came to divide. And he came with a sword. And that parents and children were going to be divided and brothers and sisters are going to be divided. Now, what Jesus was not saying was, hey, I'm going to come. So if you're a Christian, I want you to go hate everybody. That's not what he was referring to. He was referring to the fact that there are going to be people in your life that reject Jesus altogether and you're going to accept him. Therefore, that will cause division in your home. That will cause division in your relationships. And if you want to be sincere in following him, you must be willing to risk a division of those relationships to put on a relationship with him. So he didn't come just to bring peace, to make everybody love everybody. He actually came to divide the holy people and the unholy people, the believers and the unbelievers, the thirsty and hungry for righteousness, and those who would just be satisfied with the ways of the world, the desires of the flesh. So Jesus calls Matthew or Levi, and then he goes, and here's what we see in Jesus that we must begin to see cultivating in our hearts, and must be carried out in our actions. 
Jesus being holy, Jesus being perfect, Jesus being not just loving and gracious and merciful, but holy and righteous and just calls this imperfect man. So we see mercy and grace extended. And then he goes and he reclines at the table with these particular people. Now, people will use this particular passage of scripture completely out of context to justify the fact that they still enjoy to live with sinners and do and participate with sinners. Well, people will say, well, Jesus sat with sinners too. Yeah, he did. But here's where we really get to see the character of who Jesus was. See, Jesus did not compromise his character so that he could be accepted by culture. Jesus did not compromise who he was so that he would be accepted by the sinners or by the culture. And if we aren't careful... We will be, we will, we will compromise our character so that other people will like us because we don't want to cause any opposition. We don't want to have a disruption. We don't, we don't want people to oppose us or hate us or say bad things about us. So, so we'll just kind of go along with the way of the world, the way of the culture, and we'll actually compromise our own convictions and our own character in Christ so that we can just kind of fit in and go along with it. And here's what I want you to know. A small compromise often leads to big change. A small compromise leads to big change. Well, what do you mean by that? Just a little flirt at work, just on a random Tuesday afternoon, just a little flirtation between you and someone you are not married to, just a little bit, a little compromise here can ultimately lead to an affair and a marriage being destroyed. It just started with a little, a little bit. You know, People who don't live in drunkenness or, or even drugs or any kind of addiction, you know, could say, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not big on this, but, you know, it's just this one time with the guys. Ah, it's just not a big deal. Let me, you know, it's not going to hurt anybody. Um, and that one time with the guys leads to a lifelong journey of drunkenness, alcoholism, addiction, to where relationships are completely destroyed to where marriages are broken, to where kids no longer know who you are. I mean, the, the smallest of compromises will oftentimes lead to the biggest of changes in who you are because we compromise our character so that we can just be accepted, so that we can fit in. Oh, okay, now let's go a little bit more in today's world. As I said, we live in a culture that wants to promote things that are not truly godly and good. And if we aren't careful because we don't want the, you know, Facebook trolls, are they still around? Are Facebook trolls still around? I, I don't know. I don't get on there anymore. Uh, you know, the, those people that, that bash you all over Facebook but don't have the courage to say anything to your face, you know, those people, they, they will blast you all over. And, and because you don't want to offend them, you don't want them to go after you, we, we will just kind of neglect our right to stand for people who are being oppressed or people who are being persecuted for the name of Jesus, but not just for the name of Jesus, for simple things. I mean, we live in a culture that wants to promote things that go against God's word and and things that are now celebrated are recorded as abominations. I mean, we cannot celebrate. We can't comprehend our convictions, our character built in Christ just so that we can fit in and so no one says anything about us because those people that we're afraid of are the people that will call us every name in the book and and people that we don't want to offend are the ones that aren't afraid to offend us because of our faith. And here's what we see. We live in a very tense world right now. 
All right, I don't know if you've seen this, felt this or not, but if you just turn on the news or scroll through Facebook a little bit, we live in a very tense world. And we cannot, and I'm just going to say this on my behalf, and I'm not saying that it's for every single person in here, but I believe that it would, it should be. We cannot compromise. And, so, and a pastor who I will not dare to say said that if we aren't careful, we will put our politics above our faith or above our religion if we're not careful. And I completely agree with him. But we cannot compromise our faith to support the, the heinous acts of our land or the heinous acts of babies not being born due to a heinous murder. That's just my opinion based off what I'm convicted of. Therefore, I cannot compromise that conviction just so that the world will celebrate with me or accept me or promote me. See, there's, there's things that are going on in our world and, and heinous things in our country that are being celebrated and pushed as, as the way of life that, uh, unfortunately, I can't compromise it. So if, if we want to truly live more and more like Jesus is, we must be willing not to compromise who we are in Christ so that we can fit in with the culture. See, Jesus Jesus sat with these sinners, but he did not participate. Jesus sat with sinners, but he did not act. He sat with them. Why? Because he was there to save them from their sin. As he told the the Pharisee scribes, he says, those who are well have no need of a physician. He's not saying, hey, I'm here with them. He's literally saying, I've come to save them because they are spiritually sick and about to die. They're facing spiritual death, but I have come to save them. So there's a passage of scripture in 2 Peter chapter 3. It says that the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. He's patient toward me, not wishing that any would perish, but all would come to repentance. So Jesus longs to see people repent and come to him. He longs to see you and I truly go and be with those that do not know him and, and actually sit with them, not in the sense where we justify our own actions and try to justify, well, well, Jesus sat with sinners. Yeah, and if you and I are careful, the longer we sit with sinners, the more we'll participate with sinners. And that's not what Jesus is wanting us to do. He's wanting us to reach out to those, or as Jude states, Jude chapter 1, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause division, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most high holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And those who have mercy on those who doubt. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire to show others mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Jude is referring to people who are literally going to be sentenced to eternal separation, will be cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity because of them choosing to live in their own sinful ways their own, following their own ungodly passions. And if you and I want to be more and more like Jesus, we have to do two things. 
we have to remain as holy and righteous as possible, not compromising who we are, and just growing in our faith, <coughs> excuse me, growing in our faith in who Jesus is and, and growing in our relationship with Him. And we grow in our relationship with Him. We grow in His, in His way by this, this book, this book. We read His words. We, we see His nature truly coming out. And, and what I pray is that over the next few weeks, we will truly, God will reveal more of who He is each and every week. So Jesus was a holy Man, he was holy. He was perfect. And the term holy means to truly be set apart. Can't even be in the same area as those that are not. So we must not compromise who we are just so that we can be accepted and celebrated by culture. And then secondly, we must find all of the people that we can who are literally going to be snatched by the fire. And it is our responsibility to attempt, as Jude wrote, to snatch them out of it. Because here's the reality. Each and every person that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, each and every person that is not following Him, will be sentenced to eternal separation from Him. They will spend all of eternity apart from Him, literally being cast into eternal separation, punishment, and the lake of fire. And here's what Jude writes about. He's writing about people who had followed their ungodly passions, followed their ungodly ways, and who rejected who God was and the offering of Jesus on their behalf. And because of that, they're going to be in the lake of fire. But Jude writes, and he says, Snatch them out. Have mercy on them by snatching them out of the fire. By pointing them to Jesus. And just because we are close to sinners doesn't mean we have to participate with the sinners. Just because we are trying to snatch people out of the fire doesn't mean we just enjoy and grow comfortable with them and what they're doing. And one thing that my goal is this year is that, you know, and I'm not trying to encourage you to be a religious Pharisee or zealot, you know, where you're just bashing people over the head with a Bible or, or telling them how perfect you are. But if we want to truly become more and more like Jesus, we need to look more and more like Jesus. And, you know, Jesus wasn't just this sweet, cuddly man in the manger or, or just accepting all sin for whatever it was and just saying, well, it's okay. It'll be okay. Jesus was a man that told these people that they would be separated Jesus was a man that preached the Sermon on the Mount. He told people that he will literally tell them to depart from him for he doesn't know them. That's to eternal separation, eternal punishment away from him. Jesus wasn't afraid to speak the truth for he was the truth. He couldn't tell a lie. He was the absolute truth. And sometimes those truths aren't always the best feeling or or the most comfortable. So here's what I want you to do starting this year. Here's a New Year's resolution to ensure that your character that you possess lines up with Christ. There's my timer. Who set that this year? I told you my New Year's resolution is stay on time. I'm almost done, I promise. All right. To ensure that your character lines up with the character of Christ to ensure that the way you think and the things that you desire line up with the way that God thinks and the way that God desires. And do not compromise at all. 
Do not compromise who you are in Christ for anything or anyone. I don't care what society's telling us. I don't care what education system's telling kids. I don't care what political parties are trying to feed to us. I don't care. We cannot compromise who we are in Christ. We must remain whole and, and live with integrity in who we are with Jesus. Even when no one else is looking, we must be true to who we are in Jesus. So, so here's your resolution. To grow in your character, line up with that character of Christ. And everyone that you know that does not know Jesus, our goal this year, New Year's resolution, is to snatch them all out of the fire. Because no matter how much you love them, no matter how much you know of them, no matter how much they do for you or you do for them, if they do not know Jesus, they will dwell eternally in a place known as hell. And it is our responsibility to snatch them out of there and to prepare them for the coming time in which they too will stand face to face with Jesus. And we do so mercifully reminding them that Jesus died for them. That He literally came to die in their place and offer them new life because if they are not careful, they will follow their ungodly passions, they will live according to the ways of this world, and they will be told one day, depart from me for I do not know you. Depart from me for I do not know you. And I don't know about you, but it would break my heart to see people I love die forever and ever because I was not brave enough to tell them about Jesus. It would break my heart to have people I love, people that I know, never see the glorious riches of my Savior because I was not strong enough or courageous enough in my character in Christ to snatch them out of the fire that they were just walking themselves into. It will break my heart. And it will break your heart as well. I know it would. So here's what I pray for each of you. That you will possess the courage to snatch people out of the fire. Now, I don't know if you've ever snatched anyone or anything, but it's, you know, it's not really a gentle thing sometimes when you snatch somebody out of the fire or when you snatch a kid from the burning oven or, you know, uh, from the electrical socket with the fork or with the water balloon or whatever they're doing because kids are kids. And, and, you know, sometimes you snatch them. Sometimes you grab the first thing that you can, whether that be an ear or an arm or hair, you know, you just snatch whatever you can. And, and here's what I want you you need to snatch some people. You need to be real with people. And you need to tell them that Jesus loves them. But if they are not willing to repent of their sin and call upon his name and follow him, then they will be eternally separated and they can't, they can't gripe about it later. You know, we don't get to gripe about it whenever we're sentenced to eternal separation. Well, why didn't you just have more mercy? He's saying, I died for you and I gave you all of these opportunities to hear my gospel and to repent and call upon my name and follow me. And time after time after time, we reject it and we ignore it and we just walk away doing however we want to do for the rest of all of our lives and then hope that he'll just have mercy to welcome us home. And I'm telling you, if we do not know who Jesus really is, we will miss out on all that he gives.
So this year, our resolution is to truly know who Jesus is and to tell everybody else we can, Jesus is holy, he is righteous, and he remained true to who he was, even in the presence of sinful man. He did not break from his, his calling. And I'll end you with this. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he was crying out to his father, he said, not my will be done, but yours. We're talking about a man who could have compromised right there and said, I'm out, I'm out. You know, he, he's literally feeling the weight of my sin to the point of bleeding. His sweat is becoming blood and his capillaries in his face are bursting because he's crying out, Abba, my father, I feel the weight of the world on my, on my body and on my soul. But even in that very moment did not compromise who he was or what he was to do. Even in that moment of pain and sorrow and a moment in which he could have just said, no, forget it. <laughs> you know, they're on their own. Just let them fend for themselves. Uh, here they go. No, he's, he continued to remain who he was because he came for a very specific purpose. You and I are here for a very specific purpose to make disciples of all nations, to snatch them all out of the fire and to be representatives of Jesus while there is still time on this earth. The old must pass away, the new must come, and I must remain true in that character and that conviction of who Jesus is in me and, and through me. And I must snatch as many people as I can. Let's pray.